This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. I am so excited today to be sharing a therapist from our very own Happy as a Mother wellness team. Her name is Kristen Reinhardt. Kristen is a registered social worker and perinatal mental health specialist who's been in the mental health field for over 15 years. That's a really fancy way of saying that Kristen is a mom therapist and she specializes in working with moms and parents and partners in their adjustment to parenthood. After having lived experience in the NICU following the birth of both of her daughters, this really sparked a desire in her to gain the knowledge to support and provide resources and therapy to women during this time. In today's episode, we are pulling on Kristen's unique experiences and passion to talk about supporting NICU moms. Most moms don't envision their labor and delivery and birth plan, including a NICU stay. Some might be prepared ahead of time by doctors that it's a possibility, but for most of you listening, it was likely a big blindside. Getting this news that your baby needs to be taken to NICU or there have been complications with, you know, labor or delivery can make the world stand still. And I want you to know that you are not alone in this experience. Kristen has some great resources and information to share with us to help us better understand how to cope with this time, but also for moms who may have friends who are in this experience for us to understand how to better support moms during this time as well. We'll learn more about Kristen's experiences in the NICU, how traumatic NICU visits can be, and what a way to start off your parenting journey, what type of support may be needed and available, and some tangible ideas for ways to seek help. Let's hear my interview with Kristen. Hey mamas, Erica here. I don't know about you, but I spent my time before baby's arrival prepping things like the nursery and shopping online for clothes and all the baby gear when really what I needed to be preparing for was my adjustment into motherhood or my postpartum experience. What I truly needed was a birth plan for mom. And guess what? I've created the resource I wish I had. A child isn't the only one who needs care and support during the postpartum period. It is so important that we learn to mother the mother, and in this case, for you to learn how to cultivate your own inner mother and nurture yourself in the postpartum period. And the postpartum prep list that I created helps you to do just that. It will help you to think through and prioritize your needs in the postpartum period, as well as educate you on any of the red flags or things to be mindful of in terms of postpartum depression, anxiety, or intrusive thoughts. It is a 20-page substantial resource, and it is completely free. This is something I wish I had and I want all moms to have so they feel empowered and prepared to go into whether it's their first time birth experience or adding siblings and additional members of their family. This resource is for anyone going through that transition. You can find it at happyasamother.co slash prep list. It's happyasamother.co slash P-R-E-P list. 
Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Kristen, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I'm chuckling right now. I was going to say, as you're momming and pandemicking, <laughs> we showed up at the same time because we figured out our time zone issue. Who knew there could oh, be two central times? Oh, gosh, too funny. But thank you so much for taking the time to be here. I appreciate it. It's such an honor, especially a compliment coming from you, Erica, as I've been following you relentlessly. And to be a guest on your podcast is just absolutely incredible. So thank you. Yeah, we've been getting to know each other quite well over the past few weeks, few months, couple months, maybe as you've joined our wellness team and you serve in Saskatchewan and Ontario for us. It's been so fun getting to know you and we're gathering our team of just amazing practitioners, amazing mamas who have such passion for this field that we work in. So super cool. And when I joke about our time zone issue, (laughs) I'm learning as a business owner that has crossed time zones. Apparently I needed a lesson in time zones to operate a a business. As did I. Yeah. I started questioning my actual time zone. <laughs> oh my gosh. I that thought was I was so thinking funny. I was in central the whole time and actually maybe I wasn't, right? but I was. Am I living my life in some other like alternative? <laughs> I know. It's so funny. The like in lessons I've learned as a businesswoman, that is gonna go down as one of the most random and funniest things. And if you're wondering, so my assistant Sarah, my manager of all the things, is in central time zone. Kristen is also in central time zone, but apparently does not move with daylight savings time. So they're in different times, even though they're in the same time zone. And we could not figure out why we weren't getting our past across properly on meetings and things. But anyways, too funny. Most random lesson in business ever. But a couple weeks later, we figured it out. (laughs) And here we are together at the same time. I'm so proud of us. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know that this is a topic that's really near and dear to your heart. If you don't mind sharing a little bit about how you came to specialize in maternal mental health, generally speaking, because you're one of our perinatal mental health providers on our team. And how did you find your way into that specialty? Yeah, it's a journey. Absolutely a journey for me. So very early on, I knew I knew I wanted to work with moms. And I think I knew that before I actually was a mom, but I think the events that I went through in my journey into motherhood, the births of both of my daughters, who are now 10 and 13, so it's been some time has passed, but those really inspired me and inspired this passion towards all things maternal mental health, and in particular around NICU admissions, NICU trauma. And so really mental health was always near and dear to my heart, and I think it was through my journey, my experience into motherhood that really, I guess there was a a rebirth, not only for myself as a mom, but as a professional to see 
what the gaps were in services mm-hmm. where, you know, where moms and maternal identifying folks and parents in general needed support. I think it just really brought a lot to light for me and really just ignited that passion even further that, you know, there are gaps in resources and supports and even just identifying language around maternal mental health. So it was kind of twofold. It was, you know, a passion that I had prior to becoming a mom myself, but then really inspired by my own personal journey into motherhood. Mm-hmm. I think that when we personally go through some of these experiences, as you said, the gaps become so evident, right? And as a therapist, probably what, eight, nine, 10 years in the field at the time that I started having my children entering in, not knowing about maternal mental health, not knowing about postpartum anxiety or depression, that just being a huge gap in my learning and experience, finding myself in it and just being like, oh my gosh, how is this not in every program? This is the number one complication of childbirth. And yet I'm just discovering this now. So gaps in the system, I recognize gaps in my own learning and knowledge. I recognize gaps in how mothers are transitioned through this experience I saw. And another major gap, and I think this is what you can really speak to with us here today, is supporting moms going through a NICU experience. I didn't have any NICU visits with any three of my kids. And I can recall even in my own postpartum anxiety feeling like so protective over anybody who touched my baby. Like this is an organ that just came out of my body. It's living and it's mine. Don't touch it. <laughs> like, you know, like, no, it cannot leave my sight. No, you cannot hold like this is mine. And then I think about a NICU experience or I think about a traumatic birth experience or an emergency C-section. Everything pivots on a dime, I can imagine. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I know for some moms, a NICU experience is anticipated, right? Whether, you know, there's medical complications within the pregnancy or, you know, you're going into preterm labor and there's going to be an early delivery of the baby. Those types of experiences for myself, it was not anticipated. So I delivered both of my children were full term. Um, I had very uneventful pregnancies, no complications, And so it really did pivot, like you said, just so rapidly. Mm. And I think part of it is going into any type of delivery. You know, we have these certain expectations of what things are going to look like and feel like and, you know, what that transition is going to be. And then when that doesn't occur and there's this, you know, reality versus expectations, it's really hard to kind of navigate through that. And I know for me, it was really about not trusting other people with my babies, you know, and and really being protective and kind of going into that protective role. It was almost like the opposite for me in that there was a lack of trust within myself Mm -hmm. to parent and to be a mom. And, you know, when we talk about trauma responses and, you know, the response that our nervous system goes into in terms of fight, flight, or freeze, I took the flight. So Mm -hmm. I avoided, I didn't trust my instincts. I didn't trust my maternal abilities in that really caught me off guard too, where it was like, almost like this little being, I didn't trust anybody with it, especially myself. And so really quite a, you know, a different, I guess, perspective in that respect. Yeah. It's, but yes, you're Mm -hmm. right. It's, it's such a rapid change in events that just creates such a traumatic response within our bodies. And, um, you know, when we talk about trauma, is it the eye of the beholder, you know, Cheryl Beck, and that it's such a subjective experience. And I think that's something that 
you know, even for me as a professional and being in the field of mental health, when I became a mom, I didn't have the language and Mm -hmm. I didn't understand to that degree what trauma really entailed and how subjective that can be. And and I think I have just such a, a greater appreciation for that and being able to walk with moms through that journey and creating that space of safety, especially when they don't feel safe in their bodies or safe transitioning into that role of motherhood um, to hold that space for them as they share their story and have that narrative around that experience for themselves. Yeah. And when you talk about the gaps that start to become apparent, you know, one in five moms are going to experience some postpartum mood or anxiety as per like the statistics. And I'm so curious, and I don't have them off the cuff, of NICU moms, what is that stat? Because that's got to skew it. It's got to change it and be different. And not all moms who go through NICU are going to internalize that as trauma, as we said, because it's in the eye of the beholder. But for many, I'm sure it is experienced as trauma. And I have friends who even like recount that time, like where they're like told to go home and get some rest. They're like, I can't go home. Right. You have my body in your hands. Like I can't go home, you know? Yeah. So there's so much there and it's such an opportunity for providers to proactively intervene. And man, we fail moms in the NICU right now. Like there's not a net. I don't think, I don't know. What was your experience? Yeah. I mean, I had an incredible medical team in terms of providing the acute care for my daughters, right? And so Mm -hmm. that was phenomenal in terms of the care that both of them got in their acute stage. But, you know, I do have to say in terms of parental care in Mm -hmm. the NICU, Mm -hmm. there really wasn't any. And I think that was really what hit me was we go through this such a transition in birth alone, Mm -hmm. regardless of what our story is and regardless of how our deliveries go, whether it's cesarean, whether it's natural vaginal delivery, whatever that may be, we're also healing physically, right? And so there's kind of this so many moving parts going on. And I know that in terms of my daughter's care, it was, they were acute and they did need the focus to be on them. But there was this other part that I also was born, right, as a mom. And and there really wasn't the check-ins. And like I said, I think part of where I got stuck was I'm in it. I'm in the field. I should know. I should recognize. I should see the red flags. Mm. I should have the language. And when you're in it, even the education piece, I think there's so much room to have that education piece to sit with moms and parents in general in the NICU to just kind of talk through some of what is going on within their body psychologically, let alone physically, right? In terms of Mm -hmm. too much happening too fast and what that stress response can be like, whether it materializes into post-traumatic stress disorder or not, you're in survival, right? You're Mm -hmm. in survival in those days in there. And when you go home and you transition out of the NICU, your body doesn't really know the difference between a perceived threat or an actual threat, right? And so it was like, you're still in that environment, yet you're not, right? And and I mean, all of our stories are different coming out of the NICU. And so I want to be very, very respectful of that, right? And that transition can look so different in terms of when we returned home, there wasn't the medical complexity that some families return home home with them. Right. And so Mm -hmm. there isn't that transition from NICU to home and the support that follows. And I know for me, I really went into isolation mode where Mm. I couldn't even wrap my head around how to reach out for support. 
I didn't know how to put language to it. I didn't know what I even needed, right? Because I was still Mm -hmm. in that survival. And so it is a really large gap in services. And why I am so inspired and have such a passion for this work is to bridge that gap. And so even though there is so much distress and pain that can come with an NICU stay, just to have some support to offer these parents, these mothers that are going through such a isolating experience in general, I think, yeah, there's a lot of room, a lot of room for some work around that. Well, yeah. And as a first time mom coming into this experience in survival mode, get back home. And I find, and you can, you know, tell me, correct me if I'm wrong. I find in the moment of the crisis, we rally, right? Like we are hypervigilant. We are on, we're sharp. We're trying to do the things, maybe not always, but like a lot of the time, that's sort of the report that I get from clients, right? When we get back home and it's quiet and there isn't the nurses or there isn't the support can often be when that trauma really emerges or we start to realize maybe how bad that really could have been or was or all the variations that could have come out of that. And our mind kind of like can take that and play out all the scenarios, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think when we go home and we don't have, you know, the medical team and the, you know, the routine in some aspects, even though I'm cautious with the word routine, but in some ways there was that support there for me. And so it was this really interesting space to be in where I wanted to be home so badly, Mm. but I also wanted to be at the hospital because there was that sort of Yeah, just the support there in terms of the care for my baby, right? And so when I returned home and it became quiet and it was just, you know, my husband and I and our babies, I think it really hit me in terms of then you have the time to sort of reflect back and yet you're not in the exact environment that you were in, but there can be so many different triggers and, you know, sensations and it's, there's just so much to wrap your head around. And when you're not aware that that can be part of the journey, mm-hmm. that can be very frightening, right? That can be very, very frightening for moms and families to be in the comfort of your home, but yet also not feel safe, mm. not feel safe in terms of care for your baby, not feel safe in terms of your own internal processing. There's just a lot of not feeling safe. And I think that is, you know, something that really occurred to me is that I just don't have any sense of safety, let alone try to transition into this new role that I've just entered, right? And not only that, I just really felt like my babies were so foreign to me because I wasn't so actively involved in their care Mm -hmm. when I was in the hospital. And then to be transitioned home and not be a part of that care in the hospital was just so frightening and so Really, unless you're in it, it's such a hard experience to identify. And I think that's why part of this work is just allowing moms, allowing families to just place narrative around their experience, Mm -hmm. whatever that may be, right? Because they don't have, typically don't have that space to do that. And if that's one piece of their healing journey that I can offer is to guide them back into, you know, trusting their bodies, feeling safe to share, you know, giving them that validation that, you know what, yeah, it would make sense that you were feeling A, B, and C, Mm -hmm. right? And that just some of that normalization around it, because that transition home can be very frightening. And there's so many unknowns that come with Mm -hmm. that. 
Yeah, when you talk about safety, I've worked with so many clients who, whether it was due to traumatic birth or emergency C-section or complication with baby or whatever the situation that led them either into NICU or through like a traumatic birth experience, there's something about when you've got a worst case fear and life dishes you up a situation that confirms a fear for you, like it really puts you off center, right? Like your world is going in a certain direction and it takes it off its axis. Like it is jarring in so many ways. And that's sort of that definition of trauma, right? Like that safety of our being in the world in some way feels so challenged to such a deep degree that it's like we're hypervigilant and it escalates anxiety. And I think about how having not even gone through that experience, how anxious and driven to like check on baby I felt and stuff that I can just imagine the hypervigilance around wanting to check on baby and or the opposite, depending on how we manage our anxiety, the avoidance of not wanting to be left alone with our baby because we don't trust our ability to care for them, right? Like it can swing one way or the other, but lots of anxiety I can imagine. Absolutely. And I think there's this sense of disconnection from from our experience, right? This just this misalignment almost like it's just, I'm not connected to really anything. I'm not connected to my baby. I'm not connected to my partner. I'm not connected to my environment. I'm not like, I'm just, I'm, I'm not connected to myself. Like there's so much disconnection. And, and I think, you know, that is one of the things I experienced the most. And then the guilt that comes with that and the shame that hmm. just perpetuates, you know, when you, you sit in that space of disconnect that can really fuel those feelings of guilt and shame at that. And then really questioning, just questioning everything. Like you said, it really just throws you off balance, off access and mm-hmm. really getting yourself grounded within that and grounded back into the present. And that just takes so much time. And, and that's, you know, something that really I realized is that there is no timeline to that healing. And I know for me, I probably went the first two years without, really experiencing a lot of the disconnect was there, but I think it was really around my daughter's second birthday that I just really, it really just hit me like, holy smokes. Right. And, Mm. and, um, and so that's really something that I'm realizing is that the healing is not linear and it's not time defined and, and really just allowing yourself that space and that, you know, kindness and the grace within that healing process, you know, just like entering motherhood, doesn't look one way or another and our expectations of that same with healing right and to really Mm -hmm. be mindful of our expectations of healing and the pressure we put on ourselves to either feel a certain way or not feel a certain way right is to just to part of the work and part of the healing is just allowing yourself to experience what it is you're experiencing and really getting connected back within your body right and Mm. especially when there is such a disconnect and I know for me I felt because I had such almost textbook perfect, I guess, if you can use that word, pregnancies, it really led me down this path of, well, what did I miss? Hmm. My body obviously, like, was there red flags that I wasn't paying attention to? Was I being neglectful? What did I eat? What did I do? And really getting back into that, like, my body let me down. I let my baby down. I should have done things. I should have been more, you know, proactive and, you know, just those sorts of guilty feelings that you have. It's really common of trauma though, right? If I didn't go to this club, if I didn't go down this road for this car accident, if I didn't do this, if I didn't do that, we want to understand why so badly, right? And if we could have prevented it. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And I think part of that too is when we seek out those answers, like the why, right? Like why I, I, to look for something concrete that explains a situation that is not explainable always, right? Mm-hmm. I think we, mm-hmm. we kind of seek that sense of control too in finding the answers, right? Because without that, we're left in this state of lack of control. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MomWell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code MOMWELL50 to get 50% off your first box. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. 
how do we find acceptance? How can we find closure if there's no answers? And this concept of like radical acceptance and learning to accept what is and that there is maybe no answer is the hardest and also maybe most courageous thing over time we could ever learn to do, right? It's like moving on without closure is some of the most gut-wrenching, challenging work to do. But in order to find some freedom from how we're feeling, learning to accept it over time. And I say accept it. Accept it doesn't mean like accept that this was done and like not have any justice, like depending on the types of trauma we're talking about. It's not like accept it, be a doormat, roll over, let it happen again. No, it's like for our own healing so that we can move past it and grow, grow through it and heal through it. And that's often with a therapist, right? Like that's often depending on the type of trauma or how prevalent the like PTSD symptoms are or whatever, or even rewriting that birthing story and that narrative of after, like that entering into mother narrative that you have, right? Of my body failing me and failing my baby and these stories we tell ourselves after the fact, like learning to rework some of that with a therapist to see actually you were so brave. And you were so adaptable in the moment and did what you had to do and resourceful. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that is so key what you said, Erica, in terms of looking at that birth story and processing and reprocessing. And, you know, how do you get to view that in a different context so it doesn't have such a painful hold on you? I think it's remembering and having you know, the way I kind of look at, you know, even my personal experiences, I absolutely remember, I absolutely remember, but my context around my birth story and my experience in the NICU, and it almost feels as though, if I can put it this way, there's more distance. I think it's, it's almost, and and I think really part of the work I like to do, and I do with moms in terms of healing is when we're traumatized, or we have something happen too quick, to kind of process through, right? Then that experience does not get filtered and processed into long-term memory, right? And so that's part of the work too with, Mm -hmm. you know, looking at narratives and looking at processing our birth story is how do we move that experience from short-term memory into long-term memory so it doesn't have such a debilitating hold over our life. Like we're so fused with it, right? And this is how we really know and can sniff out some trauma or even when I'm working in session with people who start to, whether it's recount a birth story or another traumatic event, if you start to recite it and you are flooded just as though you're in the moment, right? right? Like we're still very fused with that. That has a really strong hold on us and working through that traumatic experience, learning to, you know, just take different perspectives of that story, even if it's too maybe intimidating at first to let go of what we're holding on to, right? Just consider maybe the nurse's perspective of that story or the whatever, like just to work it and massage it a little bit. That's right. Right? Yes. One of the things that you had mentioned that stands out to me and that I've heard from many other moms There is a lot of guilt, generally speaking, from moms who don't feel an immediate bond with their baby because there is this romanticized idea of what it's going to be like to meet this baby and it's going to be magical and all of this 
you know, glorious, motherly, instinctual, whatever is just going to like magically appear and all of these things. And when we don't have that moment or when we feel like when we go through trauma or when we feel scared or when we look at this baby and we're like, you look like a stranger to me, Mm -hmm. like, who are you? Or, you know, have any other mixed emotion than that. There can be a lot of shame and guilt. But then when I even take that a step further and I think about the moms I've worked with who have maybe had a diagnosis while pregnant or a traumatic birth or a baby in the NICU, there is this really knee-jerk defense that happens where we shut down because to attach to this baby is to shatter my heart potentially if something goes wrong here. Right. Absolutely. So I can imagine this bond with the baby must be a big theme in NICU work. Absolutely. Huge, huge. And it's very, very common that is brought up in sessions when I do work with moms who have had a NICU experience is the guilt around the lack of bonding. And I know when I draw from my own personal experience, I can absolutely relate. I mean, Mm -hmm. it just, my heart just, you know, anytime a mom says, you know, brings that part into, you know, session or it brings that up to me, it's just my heart just gets pulled for that mom because I can relate so strongly Mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, again, the expectation of what that bonding experience is going to be like. And, you know, for me, I know when the nurses would call me because I was separate from my baby, I was, I was still recovering in the you know, the maternal ward and while my baby was in the NICU and they were in separate areas Mm -hmm. of our hospital, we were literally floors apart. And so the nurses would call me to visit my baby. And I was so numb and so zoned out that I I would decline. I would decline because there was such a fear of walking in there of what I might see or what I might come across. And and I didn't want to bond with my baby because there was such a strong fear that I was going to lose her. Right. I had kind of in my own, you know, way kind of prepared myself that she wasn't going to make it. And my way of surviving that was to detach even further from her. And so I clearly remember declining, you know, no, I don't want to see her. I don't want to feed her. I don't want to be with her. I don't, you know, I don't want any of that. Yeah. And so that bonding, that attachment is such a part of the story that is so hard to reconcile, I think, for a lot of moms and really can perpetuate that feeling of guilt. And, you know, I always say our bodies are designed and they work hard for us, right? So even in that kind of unraveling that for moms to be like, you know, you were shutting down because your body was working so hard for you to survive that. That's your survival and trauma response in that moment, right? Like that is a response to you see this influx of pain potentially on the horizon and your body is trying to protect you. Absolutely. And I can imagine how, well, nothing is going to really protect us from that pain if that were to happen. I mean, gosh, but like, then how do you open up those walls again, right? Like, how do you, because now that we have this traumatic experience of being off axis, as we said, right? Like, like our world has been shifted. Now we have to learn how to trust that she's going to be here tomorrow. Like, I'm going to take her home. But is this a trick? Mm -hmm. Is this a trick? Is she going to be here? Is it going to be okay? Yeah. And so I feel like, or I can imagine, and you tell me, Kristen, that that would be a really slow process of needing proof and needing to see that, you know, 
we're doing this thing, like she's still here and she's growing and she's starting to thrive to slowly really allow for that full presence because that is just so threatening, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when we talk about our nervous system and our stress response, it is designed to protect us from danger, right? And that's that primitive part of our brain that it's designed to do. And so it's doing exactly what it's designed to do. And I think sometimes where it becomes so tricky with NICU trauma in particular is that there is an actual threat, right? Or there mm-hmm. can be an actual mm-hmm. threat. And so it's kind of how do you move through my fear of, well, my baby may not survive when that for so many of us in the NICU is so sadly and unfortunately is our reality, right? And so it is such a slow process. And I know that, like I said, my daughters are 13 and 10 and they were both NICU babies. And so I'm 10 years into this and there's still days that things come up for me. I mean, I'm much more hypervigilant and sensitive to when my daughters become ill, right. And Mm -hmm. catastrophizing and, you know, going into that, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, here we are, here we are, what's going to happen. And it's such a slow work in terms of working with our nervous system to create that relationship again of trust within our bodies that, okay, you know, getting our feet on the ground and getting our nervous system calm down and working with mindfulness so that we can be in the present. And I know that's something that I think there's a lot of work that could be done right in the NICU Mm -hmm. because it's often viewed as work afterwards. And yes, there is healing and there is, you know, work after the NICU experience, but I see there's so much room to incorporate that mindfulness and some compassion work and some grounding and relaxation and that foundational work right in the NICU, right? And so even working with moms and families when they're in there, in amongst the noise and the chaos and the alarms and the monitors, and how do you start to build that connection with your body and that trust mm-hmm. within yourself and those safety nets internal safety nets yeah. when you're in it. I would like to see it move in that direction that that's being offered right there in the NICU for moms in terms of, you know, those coping strategies in the moment when you're in it rather than let's wait till they get home and then we can maybe check on them and see how moms are doing or what they need and that sort of thing. It's learning when you're in it. And then those skills become transferable when you're out and trying to navigate and kind of climatize back into society and life, right? As you have those skills then to pull out and work with. And um, yeah, so there's lots of room for for those types of treatments and therapy and work in the NICU. Yeah, another time that comes up, another time I hear moms speak about this default where we like shut down is if we've experienced many losses or miscarriages, maybe we're trying to conceive again. Did that NICU experience and did that trauma and fear impact your second pregnancy, do you feel like? Or was there like a hesitancy to attach to the pregnancy? Because I find that whether it's a NICU stay or whether it's miscarriages, many women will talk about how they'll feel very detached for a time. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think I was able to process relatively well with my first experience in the NICU, I know that there was heightened sense of anxiety going into the second pregnancy, like lots of checking, like lots of wanting doctor reassurance or some ultrasounds or can you test the heartbeat again? Like some of those reassuring behaviors I found myself really falling into. That was hard because I felt like I had a good support system and it was no fault of my support system at all. It was just, I think people mean well and they do the best, the very best they can to support 
but they didn't quite understand why. Like the baby's okay, you know, you don't need to reassure, you don't need to check. And so that was another part of the disconnect too. It was like, I needed that reassurance consistently. And so looking back, absolutely, I think going into the pregnancy, wasn't so much question of wanting to go ahead with another pregnancy or try for another pregnancy as it was going through the actual pregnancy itself. And I really found myself in those reassuring, you know, checking behaviors that even at the time I didn't realize were anxiety, right? It was anxiety that was manifesting in checking, reassuring, you know, some of those almost obsessive kind of tendencies that were coming out that I wasn't able to kind of identify in the moment. For sure afterwards, I mean, I had to go through a lot of work and a lot of therapy myself in terms of really starting to work through that anxiety and that, you know, not so much future pregnancies. We were clearly done having children at that point, but in terms of the health of my children, right? And I didn't want them to do certain things or go in certain places or they had to wash their hands repetitively or, you know, I became like, there was almost like this phobia of germs and those types of things that you know, we're really manifested through that. But going into a second pregnancy, I know it could be very typical for women to not feel hesitant that it's like, you know, just not even wanting to even feel like taking almost, it almost feels like too much of a risk, right? In terms of the risk benefit, weighing that out, it's like, I don't want to chance that risk. And so, you know, I think that's part of the journey too. And I think for anyone listening that has had that experience, whether it's a first baby in the NICU, what have you, and then wanting to go into subsequent right, right. pregnancies. I think, you know, to offer yourself the grace in between that period to do some healing, to do some work around that, because that's that's very valid. You know, it would make sense that you would feel hesitant, right? In terms of, but but able to, you know, give yourself that room to kind of work through some of that and honor that space and, you know, going into future pregnancies. One of the important pieces that you touched on there was support. And I'm really curious as somebody who hasn't been through that experience, but really has a heart to want to help and support moms who do go through it, what might be some of the most helpful and or practical ways that we might support our mom friends through a NICU experience? Yeah, such a good question. And I think sometimes when we're in it, and I know for myself personally, when I was in it, it's hard to know what you need for support. And I think it's hard for the people who are in your support network to know how to support you. And I think one of the things, if you do have, you know, a mom friend or a a sister or a loved one or a coworker, whatever the case may be, is, you know, to really take some of the pressure off yourself as a supporter that you don't need to fix or solve, or um, have any answers. Yeah, I think sometimes mm-hmm. we we get in this urgency where we need to we need to make things better. It's hard to hold the hurt of someone else without absorbing it as well, right? So, I think it really comes down to just being there. You know, whether that is you know just sending a text saying, "Hey, you know, I'm thinking about you. Mm-hmm. You don't need to respond. I just need to know that I'm here." You know, it could be things like. You know, just sometimes people just need someone to sit with them, not even words, right? Just to have that physical presence. Mm. I think it's just really about having that mom and that family know that you're there. We don't need anyone to fix anything. We just need them there, right? In whatever capacity that Mm -hmm. could be. And I think for a supporter to be mindful that we are in an experience such as a NICU admission or a traumatic event or a traumatic delivery, what have you, is that 
we don't even know what we need for support, right? So, yeah. so that is, you know, to be mindful of that with moms and families that sometimes we're not reaching out because we just don't know what we need, hmm. right? We just don't know what we need and we don't know what to ask for. And so that's where maybe in that supporter role, just to let that mom know you're there, right? In whatever capacity that she needs. And so that I know for me, looking back was one of the most helpful ways that people support is just knowing they're there, mm-hmm. right? And knowing that the pressure isn't there for me to know what I need and how to respond to people. And so I, I hope, you know, that gives some ideas. Yeah, no, I can see how what you're saying that asking a mom what she needs sort of shifts more burden onto her in a way, right? Like you are already in survival mode. It's hard to articulate or even identify what you need in that moment. As you said, like you might be in this like sort of fight, flight or freeze response. Like So to put that on mom in those moments could be really difficult. And so just like letting your presence be known. One of the things that I love and I will often do for like mom friends who have babies and stuff is like just randomly drop off food. Absolutely. (laughs) Or send them a like, I don't want you to have to worry about thinking like here's like an Uber gift card, like Uber Eats, like don't like how can I I'm thinking how can I alleviate some pressure from her day to day, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and sometimes visiting and you like wanting to visit or wanting to be help actually can be like a burden because then she's like feeling obligated to host me or like whatever right yeah so there's like really fun or creative ways like that or like i don't know if you have the means to be like can i gift you a clean house you know and, and send a housekeeper like that's been gifts from friends to other friends for like their baby showers like before baby comes i'm gonna send a house cleaner over and whatever. So there's lots of creative, practical ways, right? Such good ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think you touched on something so important there, asking yourself what the basic needs are, right? Kind of come from that point of view. And I know actually one of the most helpful things or memorable ways that someone supported me was bringing me a bottle of water, Mm -hmm. you know, because I hadn't drank any water all day and I was in the NICU all day and I didn't want to leave. And a nurse actually came up to me and said, one of your friends had just dropped off this bottle of water and it had a little note on it. Just a reminder, right? To to have Mm -hmm. something to drink. So it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be anything like earth shattering, right? Offering a glass of water, dropping off a meal. Yeah. Just some of those really basic needs that sometimes when we're in survival, we're not taking care of those basic needs. And so meals, water, house cleaning, you know, those types of things can be so memorable and so supportive to a mom who is really just in the thick of it. And her primary focus is getting through the next moment, getting through the morning, getting through the afternoon in survival mode. And like I said, just just letting them know, just simple one sentence text to say, Mm -hmm. I'm here, Mm -hmm. right? I'm right here with you. You don't need to respond. You know, nothing's needed on your end. I just need you to know. It means so much and it goes so far for support, for sure. Yeah. And like you said, I think that it's so important. We're not as support systems going to be able to fix the situation. Like nothing can alleviate the pain or the anxiety of the experience. But we can do practical little things like even I have a mom friend who just had a baby and she had an infection after and was not feeling well. And there were some things that happened. And I'm like, can I come and like take your older kid for a walk outside? I don't need to come in. You don't need to tidy your house. You don't need to look presentable. Like, can I just come and 
take them so you can just focus either on you if you want to put baby in the stroller and you're comfortable I'll take them both for a walk so you can like have a shower or like have a nap or something you know so we can get really creative when we can recognize sort of what our role is in supporting, if that makes sense, right? That's right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. Just And just keeping in mind, you don't need to fix, exactly. right? you don't need to solve, you don't need to take away. And and so I think as a supporter, just to be mindful that that isn't your role, nor does it need to be, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that can be just a, you know, a gentle reminder for yourself as a supporter too, is that just being there goes a long way. Yeah. And, and just to keep in mind too, that as a new mom in a traumatic situation or a NICU stay or just transitioning out, we don't know what we need, right? And so taking some of that burden off that that mom needs to know what she needs and and just offering, right? Just offering yeah. and just being there. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would love to leave off with when do you think as a NICU mom, somebody who's going through it or might be even in it right now as they're listening, when should they seek help? And, and maybe what are a couple of the indicators that, that they should seek out some support either through their family physician or primary care physician or, you know, seeking out a therapist? Yeah, I think that's a good question, too, because it's, again, so subjective. And I think sometimes we get caught up in, well, it's not that bad or I don't have it as bad as so-and-so or mm-hmm. you know, comparing my NICU stay was shorter than, you know, 90% of the babies in there. with, And so you know, it's not that bad or, and, and I think so really about this is your journey. You know, I think we, we often associate therapy as in like, it has to be really bad. Right. We have to be in crisis of some kind or like, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And, and, and that's not at all, doesn't need to be the case. I think we can take some proactive measures too. And, and I mentioned earlier about even just some basic education to understand even what went on within your body in terms of that, you know, anxiety response or, you know, just understanding some of how that nervous system works and the stress response and where you carry stress in the body and some of that, even just that education piece so Mm -hmm. that you know what to look for, what some of the things that might happen or might occur, right? And that, that you have that kind of, you're informed going forward and it may never happen. You may never have those symptoms or trauma symptoms uh, materialize into anything that's debilitating. But I think being informed is so important. And just regardless, having a space to process your story, Mm -hmm. right, in general, I think can be helpful. So I'm not really answering the question, but I think you can seek whether it's just, you know, and this is where I think the work on the system, there's so much work to be done to be able to check in with moms and families at regular intervals and doing some more screening, right? Because again, Moms don't always know what to look for, or what is typical and what is not. And so really just having that information available in the NICU after delivery, checking in, you know, when baby is having their wellness checks, having some of those standard screenings, I think is going to bridge that gap a little more so that the onus isn't so strongly on moms to have to decipher through that mm-hmm. when, again, mm-hmm. sometimes we're just in that survival mode. Yeah. So, yeah, I think yeah. that might not necessarily be answering the question of when to access, you know, support. Well, no, I think that that's a really good point. Like, I would love to see, you know, and I know that you and I are both associated with the Canadian Perinatal Mental Health Collaborative or yes. whatever that yes. is pushing to put policy in place because I honestly think, just like we should have access to pelvic physio after each child, 
for anyone who's gone through a birth that they feel is traumatic or a NICU stay, there really should be some proactive services in place. We shouldn't have to be in crisis or be experiencing extreme like PTSD symptoms in order to access care or think that now it's time to access care, right? Absolutely. Or it's justified. Yeah. I think we wait until it's justified or we can kind of reason through that justification of seeking support. And I think to kind of debunk some of that stigma and the myth around that. Right. But yeah, but certainly like if you're listening though here and you are having flashbacks or anytime you think about your NICU stay or your birthing experience and you get very emotional or uncomfortable, if you're avoiding things like doctor's office, well baby visits or hospital because of your experience, if you're having insomnia and trouble sleeping, if you are feeling often like adrenalized or like easily triggered or hypervigilant, and or really struggling to bond with baby. Like all of these are indicators and signs that seeking out therapy and seeking out support would be helpful because these are, they're not typical of an adjustment to parenthood. And as a first time mom, potentially, you may not know that, right? You might be in it and just think, oh, this is what motherhood feels like. Like this is the hand I've been dealt. So we have our team across Canada that we're building out. And Kristen is one of those members that is serving moms via the Wellness Center for Teletherapy in both Saskatchewan and Ontario. And we've got several other associates and continuing to expand throughout this year. But if you are questioning, hmm, should I talk to somebody about this? Should I see somebody? That is your first flag and indicator. Trust yourself. It doesn't have to be, as Kristen said, so bad, or we don't have to wait till we're actively in crisis. Some of our most productive and helpful work is done when we're not in crisis, right? Like when we're in crisis, we're in crisis management and we're just dealing with that survival mode of that thing. So much else is done outside of that time in therapy that really helps us to attune to our baby or bond to our baby or decrease anxiety and all the other pieces. So find our wellness center at happyasamother.co slash book is the direct link to book in or happyasamother.co slash wellness to see our team that is there. Kristen, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and for sharing your story and being so open with us. I really appreciated having you here. Thank you, Erica. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you opening up this conversation that is so deeply needed. So thank you. And I'm so excited about the badass team that we are building to take care of and serve moms. It just feels like such important and necessary work that we're doing. So, so excited to have you on the team. Can't wait for people to get to know you more. And thanks again. Amazing. Thank you, Erica. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. 
This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, Mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.